0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. A lot of people want to talk about what it takes to become a coach at a very high level, but few have actually endured the painstaking process. The journey of becoming a leader and a mentor is one of sacrifice and commitment, and no one knows that better than Coach Gary Schofield. After earning and receiving most people's dream job in the NBA, he decided to forego the opportunity after being exposed to high school athletes. In his experience, most people revere coaches of professional athletes far more than they that of youth athletes, but Schofield thinks that the system has it backwards. Those dedicated to working with the relatively untrained, the stressed, and the complex youth are some of the most adept in the field of strength and conditioning. Don't rely on the talent of your athletes to magically enhance your ability to coach. Instead, find outlets to empower the performance of the mediocre. This is episode
1: 302.
2: Power Athlete Nation. It's time for another episode of the premier podcast in strength and, a, and no, ing. 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 In. In. We did it. That's right, people. Now, before we get going and start talking to our guests who Tex claims is a bigger talker than John Wellborn. Uh, uh, I believe it. John, in person.
1: John Wellborn is not a big talker. The problem is, is I feel like I have to carry this podcast with you two, you know, with donkey hosts. You know, so I, I just feel like... Th- who
2: are you calling a uh, donkey? A lot of, uh, a lot of pressure. <laughs> was that your
1: impersonation of donkey? Yeah. Of, from, of, uh, of Eddie Murphy from yeah, Shrek? Yeah, was that good? Who are you calling a donkey?
2: <laughs> but but was that I, good? I feel like there's a lot of pressure on me. There is a lot of pressure on you. To talk. It's an immense <laughs> amount of pressure to, to keep this show afloat. Speaking of this show Ooh. and it being a peer, premier podcast in strength and conditioning, this hey. show is brought to you by hey. this show. Power Alley radio thing? So what we are asking, ladies and gentlemen, we are curious, is there anything you like about the show? What would you well, say? Well, only if it's, if it's a
1: five-star were... review. Yeah. I, I, but, I would like you to go review our show mm-hmm. if it's a five-star review and you have amazing things to say.
2: Yeah, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we if are on If you have something negative, just Google send Music. those
1: to Callie at powerathletehq.com. Yeah,
2: go in and review us at a five-star and give us some feedback. Let us know, do you think... Maybe the co-hosts are the stars of the show. Well, Who would that be,
1: Tex? Well, what I would really I've, like I've, to, you know, see, kind of like back in the day. You remember when we got that review from CrossFit where we weren't rock stars? <laughs> so back yes. in the day, we went to we, we taught a seminar, King, and King, one of the kings of Prussia, yeah, one of one of the guy, one of the people that reviewed the podcast, or uh, not the podcast, but the seminar said, you know, I thought that they would be bigger rock stars.
2: Yeah, like the.
1: Level one staff. No, it wasn't No, that, it, was, it was a level. It was, it was
2: CrossFit kids.
1: No, nah, it was like CrossFit level one or no, CrossFit no, kids No, dude, because it was
2: CrossFit kids because she goes, those rock stars, they spent it easily, three hours writing up every important cue on the whiteboard. They were rock stars. They so, were absolute so rock stars. There was an
1: overabundance of the term rock star. So the next seminar we went to, we asked the people, CrossFit Fremont. Yeah. Cro- Freddie Camacho. Freddie Camacho. Which we fucking blew up. Uh, you mean CrossFit One World. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was CrossFit yeah, One World. world. Yeah, yeah we world. blew that fucking seminar. Yeah, we seminar. fucking kicked the as door in. As we always do. Dude, slang, melting faces, destroying minds and hearts. And we asked. We're like, you know, we would really love yeah. when you review the seminar if you refer to us as rock stars.
2: Yeah, so it was because that was like the last thing. Here's what's next. We want you to implement this. This is like the last five minutes of the weekend, which was like drinking out of a fire hose. We want you to uh in, Uh, implement this program we want you to stay in contact but finally you're you should have an email in your inbox waiting for a review of this course from from uh, CrossFit Martian I mean CrossFit HQ from something something fit HQ yeah and the original line is be honest be candid we appreciate any sort of candid feedback that can make this event better the line at CrossFit uh, one world was you have one job. <laughs> you need to refer to anyone, not by name, but, but as a rock star. We also,
1: through the <laughs> whole weekend, kept referencing ourselves as, as rock stars. stars. It was great. And be like, you know what? Like, hey, I've, uh, lots of people think I'm a rock star. John is a rock star, everybody. Yeah, what I, a rock I star was like, dude, When I headbutted Chad Kroger and split his eye open, and, you know, the dude from Nickelback, uh, he referred to me as a rock star. True statement. Wow. We partied like rock stars. Rock
2: star demo there, Callie.
1: Because
2: we just be big rock stars and live in Top bosses driving 15 cars The girls come easy and the drugs come cheap Well, I'll stay skinny cause we just won't eat And we'll hang out in the coolest bars In the VIP with the movie stars Every good gold digger's gonna wind up there Every playboy funny with the bleach blonde hair And we'll, hey, hey, I wanna be a rock star Hey, hey, I wanna be a rock star
1: (laughs) Yeah, and so we just laced in rock stars A little subliminal We slipped it in, maybe not so subliminal Yeah, definitely not subliminal And then all of a sudden A couple days later When the reviews started piling in It worked All of a sudden they were like Those guys are rock stars And I remember Sushi was like uh, At Sushi Yeah, he was like Man, I have never in my life being around rock stars and I'm a rock star because I play (laughs) in a band and we're on stage and these guys are bigger rock stars than all the rock stars I know and so uh,
2: that was great Uh, so long story short (laughs) you need to review this podcast five stars and not just five stars five rock stars
1: (laughs) and not the energy drink
2: so head to your iTunes head to your Stitcher head to your Google Play head to your No, Pandora Pandora What's the Spotify? Spotify. Whatever we're on, whatever you're on, go ahead, re- review us. Let us know and use the word rock star. And we may find you and contact you and give you $100. Or I just might call you on the phone and talk your ear off. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so enough, enough about us and enough of our talking. Let's jump in. Let's talk to our guest. He is now president, founder, co-founder? Of the NHSCCA. NHSCCA. C. That's a big mouthful. NHS CCA. There we are. Oh. Nice. Yeah, and also a member of Plays
3: Education and Performance Crew.
2: Ooh, beautiful. And dude, great story. Great talker. Like very clearly passionate, or lives life passionately. But I enjoyed this one. He's rock star. Ing. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Schofield. Let's do it, people. Ing. Ing. To start, Gary, why don't for our listeners here who may not know you, why don't you give them a little bit of background on you, what you're doing now, and I guess more importantly, we want to learn a little bit, a little bit more about how you got here.
4: Yeah, yeah, the journey. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been it's been crazy. I always joke that I'm like the Forrest gump of uh, strength coaches. I've had a, <laughs> I've had a very unique uh, journey around the room. I have a lot of memorabilia that it looks like I photoshopped myself into. So <laughs> but it's uh it's been a great journey. Um, I've been in the profession since uh, 93. I started off as an athletic trainer, a medical uh, professional, and um, it, I think that beginning has given me a different perspective, so to speak, of, uh, of the field than maybe going through the traditional GA uh, kind of route. In fact, I'd, I, I'm quite honest with you. I was a baseball player, and I didn't even know strength and conditioning was a profession. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was in my high school right. when I grew up. Uh, and when I played baseball, I'm old enough that that was like taboo. You didn't do that. That was <laughs> stuff for bodybuilders. So um, my first job was actually with the Atlanta Hawks in the NBA, which is a pretty ridiculous first job. And uh, uh, sitting there helping uh, the medical trainers out. And I looked across the floor and saw uh, Chip Sigmund with the, with the Charlotte Hornets at the time doing some stuff with Alonzo Mourning. And I thought, what is that guy doing? Why is he wearing such tiny shorts? And uh, <laughs> what it was, he was a strength and conditioning coach and I kind of uh, learned, you know, we had one um, really served more of a athletic trainer role. But um, I started looking at that and I thought, man, that's the profession I want. I don't want to go to this profession where people are always hurt. I want to <laughs> go to the one before they get hurt or when they're healthy. That, that's that's kind of stimulated some, some blood flow in my body more than, more than ever. So I had to kind of flip, flip the script on my career a little bit. And uh, uh, in, in 1998, I, uh, the owner of my uh, physical therapy center decided to leave with me. And we opened up a private center and started uh, a small private facility. And within one year, a local high school had come to me and asked me to help with the camp, which I did. And I fell in love with the school, fell in love with the high school kids. And at that time, I had been offered to go back into the NBA as, as a strength coach at that time, but I chose not to because I fell in love with uh, the amount of coaching required at the, at the high school level. Right. I, I, think, I think our profession's got it a little backwards, generally speaking, our culture's backwards. But uh, I think in, the, in our profession, everyone looks to that top tier, that, that NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, they must be the best coaches. And then the high D1, oh, they must be the next one. And then the, the lower college levels, and then high school, and then middle school, and down. I, I think it's backwards. I think the best coaches in America are elementary PE teachers. I think you have an attention span of a gnat, and you have to be able to teach them some fundamental movements. That takes an amazing amount of skill. And then, by the way, you have 45 of those little rats running around. So I think it's flipped. And I, I learned really quick on my end that. Uh, my coaching ability wasn't as good as I thought it was. And I had to learn how to be a better coach. And that, that really interested me. So I stayed there, stayed at GAC for 20 years, uh, enjoyed that path. It, 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 it opened the doors for many things for me. And uh, Play came knocking. And Play, most people know Play as a, as a premier athletic flooring uh, company. They're bigger than that. They're more of a performance brand globally. And uh, they came on and asked me to, to be part of their company. And uh, it's hard for me to describe what I do. I I can't really, I was talking to Texas in Texas about it and saying, um, you know, what, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well, I, I travel around, I get to hang out with coaches and do what I'm doing right here. I just get to, uh, shoot business and, uh, and, and find out what they're doing, share a little bit of what, what I have done, and, uh, and people are willing to pay me for that. So it's not, it's not a bad job. Uh, build authentic relationships, help people with solutions, creative solutions, and uh, it, it's been fantastic. I've uh, grown by leaps and bounds in the last eight months and proud to be with a company that I believe does as much for the profession as they expect from it. So it's, it's, uh, I'm very blessed to be part of that play group. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. So, you know, in a, in a 30 year period i uh, try to encapsulate the best I could. Um, but I've, I've been blessed. I've been power bombed in the middle of a WCW ring. I've sat on the sidelines of an NBA playoff game and, and I've, uh, I've been part of several state championships at the high school, but every single one of them has probably added a little bit, uh, of that story uh, behind me a little bit.
2: That's great, man. And like kudos to you, I, I. It's something we battle with on our end too, as you know, uh, working with strength coaches and even young coaches. A lot of our coaches find their way through into this coaching paradigm or world through uh, maybe like the CrossFit or hobbyist or enthusiast type of route versus like a young aspiring strength coach who's developing, right? But it's still the same perception that the dudes who, oh, you're an NFL strength coach, you must know your shit. Yeah right and then we hear (laughs) stories from john where it's like you have the best fucking player like literally the most talented people in the world your job's not to hurt them you know
4: that's correct yeah Yeah. yeah exactly the higher the level and and heck i'll tell you that even at the at the youth level at the high school level uh you know i would have uh four or five legitimate you know d1 athletes and my job with them was to not mess them up allow them to be the d1 athlete that they could be and i think. Too many times, you know, we live in this copy and paste mentality in our profession that if I see something cool that John did, I'm like, oh, I got to copy that. And that's got to be part of my program without knowing who he is, what his background was, what his facility, his equipment, his staff, and what his kids that he was working with were, what that progression was. You can't copy and paste any of that. And I think today, and today more than ever, we have uh, coaches that are incredibly knowledgeable, expert level knowledge, novice level wisdom you know, the difference between knowledge and wisdom is experience. They have very little experience in actually coaching. They don't know where to stand. They don't know when to talk and when to shut up. They don't know what looks to give. They don't know where to inspire. They believe in motivation over inspiration. I don't believe in that any more than that I've watched it over 30 years. So you learn that through experience. and, And people will always say, well, how do I get to where Coach Walburn is? How do I get you know, to do some of the stuff you did coach. And I'm like, I don't know. It took me 30 years. Like, I, there's no, there's no, uh, it's a growth process. There's no, there's no purchasing process there. You don't buy that. You, 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 you become it.
2: Yeah. It's, you see that 30 year path. I just traveled <laughs> up, uh, go to <laughs> yeah. the very fucking bottom, turn around and yeah. uh, come back up. And I don't know if they can start at the Hawks though. Yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, here, here, I'll tell you this, this, this is a, this is a good part of that story. So the, the when people hear that, they think, Oh shit, He must have been one hell of an athletic trainer or he must have known somebody or whatever it was. And here's the deal. I called the guy and uh, he joking, he's a legend, Joe O'Toole, legendary athletic trainer. uh, Shockingly enough, lives five minutes from me now, which is weird. How the world spins around on itself, but um, uh, a a legendary veteran. In fact, the athletic trainer of the year award in the NBA is the Joe O'Toole award. And uh, he called me and said, yeah, I need somebody to wash towels and jock straps after every game. And I said, all right. He said, you really want to do that. And uh, I did that. And so I washed jock straps and towels after games. And uh, that's what led to the job. And we talk about making the big time where you're at. And that's easy to say when you have a job. It's a little harder to say when you're washing jock straps, but it's the little stuff in life that allow you to get to the big stuff. And again, that's another thing that I see, you know, through the interns that we had or whatever. They want to skip over the little stuff. They want to talk about work ethic. They don't want to do work. And and that's and that's a little bit different, you know. Everyone wants. Oh, I'm I'm so stressed out. And I'm like, man, life is about stress, good and bad, and hell our, In our profession, that's all we are is stress agents. It's good and bad. It's how you manipulate and how you respond to the stress that provides you moments in life to live because you're going to remember the good and bad in life. You're going to remember those giantly good moments and those incredibly bad moments. They're not going to ever go away. You can't live life to try to mitigate or remove the negative and just live in the high. That's that's not what life is. But what life is, is how you responded when you were up high and how you responded when you're down low. That's what's going to bring that next moment. And, And I think that's what life is. I think that's what our profession is. I think that's what we're doing with our athletes is we're trying to put them and expose them to conditions where they are. If they're too high, we try to bring them back down. If they're too low, we try to bring them back up. And then teach them that it's all in the response. It's not in the event. It's in the response to it. So it's not winning and losing. It's in the response to it. We all want to win. I love it. I'd love to win every single day. That's great. That's not going to happen. But how how am I going to respond to those moments, good and bad? How am I going to respond to those things? And I think that's a life lesson that the weight room teaches. We talk about that all the time, but I think it's true. I think the weight room is an incredible place to experience the things that life bring and not hide from them where you can do that in the back of a math class. You can't do that in the weight room.
2: Yeah. We, we had, uh, Angela Duckworth, Angela Duckworth yeah. on, and we had uh, Anders Ericsson on the, you know, very prolific writers in this field of deep practice and grit and be, you know, just, just ramping up productivity. And there's a big lesson of failure and overcoming failure in there. And it's funny to like, we just take for granted, that there is kind of this transferable skill if you've been training for 20 years like yeah. you've, you've experienced but some of there's always this, this shit. Like
1: negative connotation with failure. Right, and, right. Uh, and yeah. that's something that like is um, is really interesting like the idea of, and I, I see it in my kids all the time They're, they can't do something and there's this idea of failure and tears and there's like yeah. this negative association with with not being able to do something, and I just thought failure was kind of your counterpoint, being able to figure out like what I can't do, mm-hmm. and then you fail through, yep. or or then you fail, then you you know you go back. I mean, and just even like a basic linear progression we use with our beginners, they like freak out. They're like, oh, I failed. I wasn't mm-hmm. able to get my reps, and I'm like, no, that's great. That means we found your limit. Now we gotta. Yep take a step back and we got to re, you know, revamp and retry to kind of, uh, you know, keep climbing that mountain. And I just don't understand why there's like this negative connotation. I mean, failure. Yeah. And I mean, nobody wants to fail. And if you fail every single day, but it keeps saying like, Hey, if I am failing or I'm not doing something right, then that forces me to have to be uh, in this growth mindset and start moving and changing and figuring out what things are or just fucking persevere and get through it. Yeah. And um, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I, it's I, almost like we're fa- we're failing, we're, we're failing to teach people uh, that failure is a part of life. And I think we're, you know, maybe trying to prevent that. And that, that was something I got from Angela Duckworth and all these things that like failure is the most important aspect of growth. So, yeah.
4: Yeah. In fact, I think it might be the only way to grow. Hmm. Uh, you know, uh, success stimulates comfort comfortableness right you know and, and and there are a lot of books and, and not to go religious or anything but you know without knowing the downs how do we know the ups you know without knowing hate you can't really experience the fullness of love everything has a balance in life that that, that approaches it but I, to hit your point I was speaking at a conference in Idaho and uh, we we're doing a hands-on agility session a kid was really struggling which uh, some in my opinion a basic concept of angles and edges uh with the feet and and he just puts his head down and he got really frustrated and i'm like and i just stopped the session i'm like man what are you frustrated about I'm like you're a pretty good receiver right? i'm assuming yeah and he's like yeah and i'm like why you why is this frustrating you that you can't do it and he's like well because i can't do it and i'm like but i just showed you something that if you do are you going to get better and he's like yeah a lot better and i'm like how does that not excite you like you should have the opposite reaction like crap i just found something i can't do Now if I get it done, I'm going to be even better. Like those moments should actually stimulate the opposite response. And I think you're right. I think it's a parenting coaching thing. But what happens when the kid drops a pass in uh, in a game? Everyone yells, catch the ball, catch the ball. No shit, Sherlock. That's what the kid was trying to do. That's not the moment. Like instead of coming over and saying, hey, man, see your thumbs. Remember we were teaching you this position with your hands? You allowed your hands to separate. That's why you didn't catch it. That's what we got to work on a little bit better. You got to capture those moments for those kids a different way than screaming at. You know, too many of us. But that's,
1: I mean, but that's coaching. I mean, uh, I was going to say the as you're going through this, I'm like, God, I've had every coach I've had has treated every mistake like it was fucking like uh, the difference Mm -hmm. between. Um, you know, their mother getting executed in some fucking gangland style yeah. versus, like, just, hey, this is a teaching moment. You're supposed to make mistakes, so then we can yeah. have this teaching moment. I mean, yeah. I, I can think, like, in college, uh, my offensive line coach Tom Cable acted like if you took a wrong step or you made a mistake or you got beat, that, like, yeah. the whole world was going to fall off its fucking axis. And I remember right. thinking, like, this is a lot of fucking pressure. But, like, um, yep. you know, so maybe it's a change in coaching. maybe uh, Maybe that was kind of the... The idea that, uh, you know, you live and die with all of these plays and now we're in this kind of idea where it's like, man, like, uh, if you don't fuck up, I don't know what to teach. And I know like uh, Tex yeah. and I were just out of Cal Strength working with some uh, future NFL players and just watching them just do basic type things and seeing the problems and realizing that like they've never been shown this stuff. You know, and it's like, you know, what am I going to do? Just start fucking yelling at them and screaming. You know, know, pull your fucking heads out of your asses. No, it's like, dude, I know you guys haven't seen this stuff. So if you haven't seen it, why would I expect you to be good at it? So then what we're going to do is we're going to start here. We're going to start with the basics and then we're going to go through this progression. And I need you to do a volume of work. Like, let's say uh, if we do 10 sets of 100 steps... And, you know, now we're at a thousand opportunities to do it right. Then, you know what, a thousand steps a day is what it's going to take to to get you better Then you know what, I got 20 days to do these thousand steps. And I was trying to explain it to him like the only difference between the good and the great is just the great ones have had more opportunities to do it well. Yeah, and I, th- I think absolutely. people forget that in coaching and, and high school coaches fucking forget it because they scream at the kid for getting, you know, for dropping the ball. And it's like, yo, man, like um, and I sometimes wonder if that's their their own shortcomings coming through. You know, and as a parent, like, uh, I think about this, like, um, I never want my shortcomings to be the, the barriers for my kids and, uh, you know, like whether they want to do something and I see parents do this shit all the time and they ask me and I'm like, yeah, man, look, let's just let them go out and have fun. And I see this with my daughters who are seven out there playing uh, soccer and these parents are super competitive. And they were like, you know, uh, and I, I, the one parent was like, you know, do you go home and do extra stuff? I'm like, no, I want my kids to have fun. And I tried to explain it to him. I'm like, um, If you ever got paid to do this for a living, you would realize that when money gets involved, the fun goes away. That's right. So let them have fun while we're out here doing it. And, like, the parents just, you know, there's no frame of reference for them because they've never been paid a dollar to do anything athletically. They've never been paid to coach. They've never been paid to do anything. They're just, you know, trying to relive their own kind of shortcomings, and it's just a really – it's a tough thing to to kind of grasp.
4: Yeah, and I I think that's why there's a lot of movement on, you know – positive coaching or the art of coaching or whatever it is that you want to talk about. I think there's definitely that movement. I think that movement is because coaching has become just what we've always done, right? You do these five drills and you do them right. And we'll keep doing them until you do them right. Like that's some magical quotient instead of exploring and literally stopping a session and celebrating when you find something that they can't do. Like I would tell my kids all the time when they struggled with something, We would celebrate that for a minute. and I'm like, this is what they paid me for. Guys, let me tell you something. They pay me to find the stuff that you can't do well and and, and, and find ways to get us to do it well. That's what they pay me for. They don't pay me to watch you bench really heavy and squat really heavy. I mean, if you can do that, that's great. But that's not what they pay me for. What they pay me for is to find the stuff that you can't do that's going to impact what you want to do. And it's quite often not in the weight room. One of my pet peeves is our, our, we as weight training or strength coaches or athletic development coaches or whatever terminology you want to put on it, we love the weight room. We love speed work. We love plyos. We love all the things that become of it. So we fall in love with those numbers instead of falling in love with why the athletes are doing it in the first place. If an athlete comes to me and he's a basketball player and wants to be a better basketball player and I'm going to fall in love with vertical jump, really? Why am I going to fall in for vertical jump? We're going to do all these exercises, to increase your vertical jump because that's going to impact the play. And I always ask this to coaches all the time. I'm like, just don't fall in love with vertical jump or the weight room. Fall in love with what matters to the kid. Why does he need a vertical jump? Oh, he's gonna get more rebounds. Okay, what's the average height of a rebound in high school basketball? And you'll watch strength coaches just stare at me, like, I don't know. I'm like, man, you don't even know what they need to get to, yet you're talking about a vertical jump. As if if they jump 70 feet in the air, that's gonna help them get an that's not. So what you find out is that maybe it's just eight foot six, which is what it is. I because I'm a moron and have no life, I watched two years of film. It's about eight foot six. This was a ton of rebounds, by the way. They get to without leaving the ground because the ball bounces funny ways in different directions. Uh, Important
1: that you teach them the proper position, and more importantly, how to box out and exactly to get into position. Right. So, so instead of working on there, vertical jump, why don't we just teach them to sink their butt and exactly drive it right. back into an individual it's, to box them
4: out? Amen. So there's two yeah. things that are going to help with rebounds: sport specific training. Being learn how to box out the right way and use hips and angles and have balance, and me giving them the athleticism to do it, but also spending time with that coach on that specific skill set. Because if I give him all the balance in the world, but he doesn't have that specific skill set, he's not going to be very good. So maybe he doesn't need to be in the weight room. Maybe that cat needs to learn how to block out a little bit more. He's got to have both. I get it. But maybe the extra time in the weight room should be extra time on the court. If the guy can't shoot a free throw. Maybe he should spend time freaking throwing, shoot, shooting free throws. Instead of doing extra deadlifts, I'm just saying we fall in love with what we fall in love with because it gives us a matter of importance when it should be finding what's important to that athlete, not important to the strength coach. And so we found that it was two things. One, it was the skill set of boxing out and position and, and reading where the rebound was going. And two, getting off the freaking ground faster. All my cats could jump eight six, but if, if I'm going against the rebound with John, I better get off the ground a hell of a lot faster than he is because he's got me on height already. So I better get off the damn ground. So maybe my plyometrics, once I attain a certain level, maybe they should shift and and focus to getting off the ground faster. And so now, okay, now we're buying into what matters rather than, okay, my guy has a 39-inch vertical, which is fine and dandy for him for a scholarship, but maybe it really won't matter on the field. That's where I think our field needs to progress a bit. Instead of being so self-centered, being more, we talk about being athlete-centered all the time, but I don't see us doing that very often.
1: Well, the other one, um, and I i literally just saw this the other day on the Facebook page for, uh, what was it? It's, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. So I, I don't know if you know, uh, I'm on your Facebook page. Yeah, and absolutely. I, yeah, and I try to drop in there, and uh, a guy was... Uh, you know, hey, I'm going out to work with all these high school kids and here's the program I'm going to do. High school and middle school. Yeah, high school, and middle school. And he had this undulating periodization with, hey, I'm going to do strength <laughs> hypertrophy this and, you know, maximal strength. And he's like, listen, all these percentages. And my question was like, uh, what are you basing the percentages off of? Oh, well, we're going to test one RMs. And I'm like, so you're going to go into a school and test one RMs with kids that you've never coached. And I'll tell you this, we worked with a lot of high school kids. Uh, I would never have a high school kid lift a 1RM unless he was maybe a senior, like for a beginner. Like it was just, uh, and I was like, yo, man, like, uh, first of all, slow down. Oh, we got to get into these modern training and this and plyos. And I'm like, dude, like um, everybody wants to get so sexy and they don't realize that like, for me, um, we found that even the worst programs, implemented properly, that are executed perfectly, are better than the best you know plans of attack that fail. And it's like just getting the kids in there and teaching them basic movements and like you know getting them to squat well and do this. I'm like, at the end of the day, uh, I'm not really wrapped around the axle on anything. And assuming that you can actually break down uh, these different percentages to drive these different adaptations for beginner is like uh is such kind of a broken kind of model i mean and the the problem is is that people are basing these models off for advanced athletes and there's this huge like river like grand canyon between the beginner and the advanced and uh i was like man like that's the field where you know people just i i honestly think that there should be a whole track of strength conditioning just for beginners it's like throw, you know, like burn your Zadaskorski, burn your uh, Verkashanski, burn, you know, your Mel Siff and your super training. How about we just look at like beginners and move that down the, the
4: needle? Which... Yeah, we um, I've never understood the percentage thing. And, you know, when I was a young coach, of course, you know, again, we're in that. Like I said, at the beginning, you're in a copy and paste mentality, right? We always just are con- continuously. Uh, well, if I see you do it, then I got to do it. Oh, I look at Prilipin's chart. That's what I got to follow. We don't look at the fact that Prilipin's chart was created for Olympic weightlifters that were on serious amounts of pharmacol- pharmacology. Yeah,
1: uh, Eastern yeah. block, uh, <laughs> yeah. Eastern block Olympic lifters on drugs <laughs> who had, uh, yeah. Yeah. who had a gun to their head, you know,
4: Correct. <laughs> but they, they weren't going home. They were going underneath the ground if they, if they didn't do yeah. what they were supposed to do. So we don't look at that. We just look at this chart, right? So oh, I got to copy that. And so I started looking at it in the reality, especially with young athletes. Now, I would say this to anybody, uh, but, but in my, obviously my experience centers around uh, youth athletes specific to high school range. And I, I, I work with all levels at my school. But all it takes for the 70% not to be a 70% is the girl that he likes wink at him on the way to the weight room. That 70% now becomes like 30%. That sucker's going to lift the moon. And the same thing, that same girl winks at his buddy instead of him. Now that 70% might as well be 170%. So they are hormonal creatures that uh, the number of sleep, the academic, physical, emotional, uh, athletic, and training stress loads, uh, the nutrition status, the hydration status, the three classes they just sat in, the five classes they're gonna go sit in after me, the homework that's due, the parental stress, the enemies they have at school, the friends they have at school, all those things are gonna impact those percentages. And if you don't think they do, A, you've never trained yourself. And, B, you've never trained another person because those percentages fluctuate. So, you know, I'm with you. When people always ask me, they would come in and say, oh, what does he squat? What does he bench? What is he clean? Uh, Now, because we did a system and we used APREs and some stuff like that that allowed some progressive options, I could give you a range. Was it probably dead on? Nah. Did it matter to me? Nah. Because I didn't think they were prepared for it. In fact, I would argue most college guys probably aren't prepared for a true one RM. I'll argue that. Uh, I'm and, not prepared. Yeah, I, no, I, but I mean, okay. um,
1: the well, th- what people forget is to really be able to have a true sense of a real, uh, you know, one RM. You got to have a heightened central nervous system efficiency, which requires you know, the coordination, raps. and you have to take a lot of singles. Like the only way you get good at singles is taking singles and the the one who told me that was Louis Simmons he's like why do I have power lifters uh, take singles and uh, he's like oh, you know we were kind of talking about rep ranges and he's like my guys going to contest and they take singles I don't need them to be good at threes. He's like, you know, there's points when we lift different rep ranges. You know, we do it in our accessory. We did it in special exercises. But he's like, at the end of the day, the sports-specific training of their 1RM is what I need them to do. You know, and he's like, if a guy's first 1RM or first rep looks like shit and number two is good, that ain't going to fucking help me because he ain't going to get two reps. And so, like, that idea of, like, practicing the 1RMs, and Louie was the one all the time. He's like, I meet all these lifters that lift all these rep ranges, and they're great. And he goes, but at the end of the day, like... Fives aren't getting you ready for ones. And so, uh, you know, and then when, when I talked to him about training football players, uh, Louis's like, no, nah, I would never have him do singles. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. how come? He's like, because, like, uh, you know, your ability to, to train, you know, be under the gun for five to seven, ten seconds of a play – Uh, you know, think about how long a single takes. And it it was just super interesting to hear somebody kind of articulate that. And that, I mean, and this was shit, I was there 10 years ago. And this can completely alter the trajectory of my thought of like, how I approach training for, you know, specific athletes, like what, like, what's the demand? What's the reverse engineering?
4: Well, what happens is we fall in love with stuff, right? So we fall in love with the West Side method because it produces incredibly great uh, power builders. Now, again, we can get into the discussion about whether we're on drugs or not, we'll leave that out of the equation. But if we find a technique that's really good at developing power lifters, that's fantastic. If we find a technique that's developing weightlifters, that's fantastic. That is not an athlete. That's a different type of athlete. Um, and so we're talking about baseball and football and basketball, which is 99.9% of what we do. Now, if you have a powerlifting team or something like that, it's a different question, right? That's a different, different conversation we're going to have. But we didn't, not at my school. I never did. We could have, I just never felt like the, the transfer was there. I felt like it was a different sport in itself. I'd rather a kid go play basketball, my complete, honest opinion. There are more skill sets that they can derive from that. We'll do enough training during the year. We'd be fine. And um, so, you know, that's, I, I, th- I think again, it's gets back to what I said at the beginning, where we just fall in love with what we fall in love with, right? Because I love doing singles, then everyone else has to do singles. But you know what? I love drinking beer. Does that mean all my kids should be drinking beer? No. Sure. Like, we don't. We don't. Oh, just, oh they're <laughs> not supposed to so, drink beer. Definitely
2: not. No. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, we don't, you know, um, uh, <laughs> yeah. in in the morning after we get done training, I come back and I have make, a beer. <laughs> I, I make <laughs> breakfast, and uh, my wife always leaves the radio on. So I, I like uh, there's this awful show that like for some reason is always on, and they were uh, had this mom on who was. I can live with it if you can. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fucking bad. It's like uh, uh, Booker, Alex, and Sarah, this fucking morning show. Oh, they're, the, they're local here. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, they're uh. fucking. It's, it's awful. But they had this mom on who was kind of like, uh, kind of old school, and then she's like, hey, um, like they were, I, I think like she was letting her daughter vape because she didn't want her to smoke cigarettes. It was kind of a weird, but just long story short, she made the funny point. She's like, hey, I know they're going to go out and do shit. Like, I know they're going to go out and they're going to have sex, they're going to drink, they're going to smoke. Like, I feel that this might be a better option, just like I bought my daughter condoms. And, like, these fucking people were calling in and lambasting this mom. And I'm like, first of all, you fucking people are living in uh, la land, assuming that uh, kids aren't fucking doing this stuff. If anything, kids today are a hell of a lot better than they were 30 years ago. Like, they did all this stuff and, like, kids today aren't having sex as late, aren't drinking. I'm like... Uh, dude, we were like 12 years old, and I was like, man, what do those beers taste like? Who's
2: telling you <laughs> that kids aren't doing that? Is it like your daughters like, no, Dad, we don't do that no, anymore. Uh, if I'm you, on
1: a beer. If you read, the so through The Coddling of the American Mind, if yeah. you read the book, uh, In the Coddling of the American Mind and also doing all the research for the Angela Duckworth and and that deal, they went and they did pretty extensive um, uh, like surveys with kids and found that at no point in like within the survey kind of market let's say back to the 60s uh, have they ever had this many kids say that they have not had sexual uh, had not have intercourse mm-hmm. like I think in like the 70s it was like 13 to 14 and now it's like they had kids that were like I think the average age was like 16 or 17 they were they, they went with like first beer alcohol and all that and they were like there's never it's just been,
2: trending to older yeah
1: it, it's trending kids today point. are mm-hmm. not entering into that stuff is young and uh i'm and like they were you know theorizing why it was Mm -hmm. and this whole deal with you know safety being the overbearing uh overarching issue that kids just want to be safe more so than the idea of like uh fuck it like let's do it live and see what crazy shit we can do and i wonder if like within the training space that's another big one and i sent you guys that thing um this is terrible but zach efron has a thing on Amazon. It's like a yeah. like a marketplace store. Yeah, and he was talking about his workouts, and he's like, "Oh, these workouts are great. I feel 100 percent safe and comfortable doing these workouts." Yeah. Was one of the statements, and I was like, "When the fuck did working out
2: ever become about like, yeah, safe?" Had and had to comfort? be a marketability that point. Uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. Zac Efron is fucking shredded. Yeah, he's also. F- Smaller than McQuilkin Yeah, but you know, it's for like a if you for a gal that wants to rock a little baby child. Yeah, it, but who's a great looking man? I
1: I always tell these guys the old powerlifter uh, George Zangus had trained me. Uh, he was a U.S. powerlifting coach and uh, invented the super suits and the wraps for marathon nutrition. If you were ever into powerlifting, and I remember we'd go lift weights, and I remember I was lifting, and he's like, "Man, you uh you lift uh, weights like you're lifting real slow." And I was like, well, "Why aren't you supposed to?" He's like, "No, he's like, don't lift weights like old people have sex slow and careful." <laughs> he goes it has to be fucking fast and violent and so like that was like his big thing it's like oh it looks real slow and careful and it was just this like fucking backhand compliment which is I've I've come to the conclusion that that's a different generation of the fucking uh, backhand uh, you know condescending compliments but uh, you know that idea of like you know you have to be fucking aggressive, but you also have to have a volume of training under your belt where I understand what the movement, you know, pattern is yeah. and I've done you it be, well. I've yeah, before replicated you hit enough that. before you i, I be fucking turn that yeah, switch.
4: My, my first tenant is do no harm. And I, I think a lot of people's are, and it probably comes back from my medical preference, but that doesn't mean you don't do anything that has the potential risk of harm. That would mean I sit down all day. And, and by the way, there's a thing called sitting disease. So I guess that's doing harm too. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what we would do at that point. So Uh, The reality is we have to weigh the options of pros and cons. If what I'm going to do, like, you know, a few years ago, people are, you know, got into that Navy SEAL type training where now they're going to put the log over my head and they're spraying water on the kid and then the the log falls down and the kid breaks his neck. All right. So I'm looking at that, not yelling at the guy because I think two of us, too much, too many of us yell at the coaches that do stupid things and don't realize that if I went back 20 years and looked at what you did it would be stupid if you looked at what I did 20 years we've all done the stupid things so let's not highlight the guy that now is unfortunate to be to be highlighted out let's just look at the moment what we what positive thing were you trying to get from that and what's the risk and and to me that's doing a harm like if if that has a, a better chance of protecting him and giving him something that he can compete with okay then maybe we withstand that risk but on the same token I'm not going to go ahead and do something that brings nothing of value. And then I'm tired of this nonsense. I'm tired of, okay, we're going to, we're going to do crazy-ass crap because it's going to build toughness. Here's the deal. So my dad was a military guy. I know military stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this talk from non-military guys about what they're doing. And the reality is that style training was never designed to build toughness. It was designed to reveal who didn't have it and get them booted out of there. That's what that stuff was designed for. Yet we're going to turn around and say, oh no, it builds toughness. What a bunch of hokey bull crap. That's not what it is designed for. There's so many other things that we can do. And by the way, you ain't going to get to, to self discipline and attitude and all those things until you have your beliefs set right, until you have, you're chasing excellent things, and until you're developing knowledge of, of right and wrong. Unless those three things are set, you ain't getting down to wisdom, any self discipline anyway. So if you really want to talk about how to build, Disciplined teams and how to build the teams with the right attitude. Then we got to have a lot longer discussion than spraying water on somebody or making them flip tires over fifty yards. That's not what that's going to build. So I'm not saying that those aren't, those don't have value, but I'm just saying that those that's not what that's going to be building. And we got to we got to start understanding that too. That by the way. Well, we're not in the military. And by the way, maybe we shouldn't be copying and pasting that method either. That seems to be the new copy paste mentality. now. Let's you know, take uh, stuff.
1: we work pretty extensively with the military. And uh, I mean, we worked with uh, all the teams, you know, basically I worked as a contractor for Naval Special Warfare for a number of years. And uh, all that stuff that they're doing is basically emulating buds, which is a selection process. So they're mm-hmm. just trying to fuck with these kids to get them to quit. And uh, that's a, that's not at all what Meet their training up. looks like because no. we help them with their training. And <laughs> yeah. it doesn't involve legs or uh, logs or fucking spraying yeah. them with water. And uh, the funnier part is a lot of that stuff you see comes from, uh, our good friend Andy Stumpf was the best one that said it. He was a BUDS instructor. He's like, we just try to come up with crazy shit to get people to quit. And that was it. Yeah. And he goes, and then that's the it. fact that like, People are like, oh, this is what these guys do for their training just shows kind of a lack of understanding. But um, don't you think it's part of like the idea that, uh, you know, there has to be this idea that there's something better out there that, you know, what was tried and true is old and we have to move to this idea of these new training methods. And I find that the people that are stuck in that are the people that actually never really trained. Because, uh, you know, I mean, but we've we've worked with like the age old old ball coaches yeah, where sure. where like their whole idea of training is like, ah, oh, you know, water is weakness. We don't want to really lift weights because we don't guys get bulky. But yet we're going to do mat drills and you're old enough to remember what mat drills. But <laughs> oh, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, that type of stuff of being like, hey, man, like, um, you know, uh, like I'll, I've told these guys one time when I was in college, our coach, uh, our head coach who ended up getting fired, told us that, you know, we were fast enough, but we don't have endurance. So then, yeah. therefore, we're changing our conditioning test to a time one mile. We fucking were awful because nobody went out and sprinted. What do we do? We were just we're trying to fucking run a time mile sub seven minutes. And, uh, like, and that completely destroyed it. And I remember thinking, like, um, that just shows a great un- lack of understanding of one only, uh, what his players need to be. And what fucking football coach is like, we're fast enough. Yeah. That's like uh, I got too much money. This girl's too pretty. Uh, my car is, you know, <laughs> you know, way too fast. Sounds too. I mean, yeah. it's like, fuck, like like that's the, these are the hallmarks. We want our players to be fast. We want them to be incredible athletes. We want them to be able to move in space and be able to execute their job. Yeah. And I think,
4: yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a uh, it's either a bell curve or a pendulum, however you want to look at it. But I think I think it's you got to be careful not to swing to either end. You got, you got coaches that live on the one end of the bell curve or the one end of the pendulum that are constantly uh, looking for new ways of doing things and never really doing anything because they're too busy looking for the next thing. And then you got some people that haven't changed in 25, 26 years. And I think there's danger at both ends of that spent spectrum. I think, I think the guy up here is not doing anything. The guy down here might be doing something, but he's not doing the best. And I think what you need to do is you need to keep some of the, the foundational pieces that we know work and uh, we need to explore in other areas uh, to see whether they do work or not. And so I think there's that constant evolution because we are going to evolve so that we're not sticking down in the old, hey, listen, water's bad. and, um, and Or we're flipping down the other end where you know we're doing crazy crap all the time. To me, the, the best example is like most recently is the functional movement screen, right? When it first comes out, everyone's like, oh, you all need to do it because we'll predict injuries. And then after a while we realize, well, that's not true. So then now the function movement screen is a bunch of crap and it doesn't mean anything at all. And I'm like, oh yeah, why don't we all just slow down a minute? There's probably some things in the middle there that are probably valuable. Why do we have to go to the either end? We do that with stuff all the time and that's the too fast mentality. Well, no more speed drills. Now nah, we're going to do conditioning drills. Guys, slow down. That's probably some stuff in the middle. And, and we get, we fall in love with those things a little bit too soon and maybe don't know what we're doing. Velocity base training is another one. I've, I've had experience with that for a long time. I had one of the original Tendo units. I, I know how to fix a Tendo really well because I had, I had the original that came in. Yeah, survived. we
1: have one too. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and we also know how to cheat the Tendo. That's another yes, one.
4: But that's exactly it. So, so what I realized really early on is those numbers really aren't the numbers. And so don't fall in love with the numbers. Just use them for a guidepost. Don't use them for absolutes. And so are those numbers better than no numbers? Sometimes, sometimes not. Depends on what we're doing. If I start getting angles on the tendo right now, Jim aware takes that into equation, but somewhat, Um, you know, there's, there's, you just, we just got to understand what it's valuable for and what it's not valuable for and quit worrying about about trying to take it to absolutes. Uh, We're in a land now that data drives everything. And I always tell people coaching should drive everything. Data should just give us options. When I look at data points, I'm going to say, okay, Based upon these data points and my coaching and what I'm seeing, I'm going to make modifications or adaptations. I'm not going to automatically do it based upon some haphazard thing, but that's that pendulum thing, right? We just got people. Now it's the data, right? We're all running. Everyone, oh, we got to just follow what the numbers say. No. It was that fusionetics that came out a while ago, and it was going to dictate the workout or Sparta science, it dictates the workout. All those things are valuable. That's fine. They're not going to dictate any workout of mine. I'm not gonna let some scientific number dictate a workout for me. They're great, they're awesome pieces of information to have, they're not gonna dictate a workout for me.
3: Numbers add value if you understand the, the, the mechanisms behind them, and they can empower a strength coach to have a conversation with a sport coach to justify what they're doing in the weight room or what a sport coach wants to force in the weight room, Right? not their realm, for their team, A coach can show. It's always better to show versus tell. And a big part of the thing we teach in our education or press in our education is the social intelligence of strengthening and conditioning. So our curriculum that we teach through our methodology is specific to empower an athlete, excuse me, a coach to understand these complex pieces of training to then empower them to sell their quality coaching and training to a parent. Or to have an intelligent conversation with a sport coach of why this is what we're doing and why. That's not, or this idea, not necessarily the best coach, here's why. So we can put them in a position to empower their team versus in argue and blame the sport coach or get blamed. Right? That that last-ditch effort, shit rolls downhill, you're the first one fired.
4: Yeah. And, you know, as long as we're hooked into with sport coaches, that as a profession in the athletic realm, we're going to have to deal with that situation. That's just the way it is. I've had sport coaches that I've worked with come in and say, I need this many guys to clean this much. I need this many guys that clean that bench this much and this many guys that squat this much. And I'm like, well, what does that do? And Oh, well, every time I've had that where I was, I've, I'm averaged 13 and one. When I don't have it, I average eight and four. And I'm like, oh, okay. Where were you before? And he's like, "Oh, I was in New Jersey," and I'm like, "Okay, you're in the southeast now, where everyone has a strength coach. So it's like, it's to me, it's a little, it's a little different. When you're the only school maybe that was doing that, yeah, you, yeah, you're probably overpowered a lot of people. I get you. You're gonna go down here and and compete against everyone who does that. So we're gonna do what everyone else does. And when you go six and four, you're gonna be blaming me that I didn't have what we hit those numbers. Well, the Numbers don't magically create wins and losses, right? So." you know, to me, that's an important piece that sometimes gets missed, right? So uh, by a sport coach, because they only know what they know, and they don't know what they don't know. So I think by educating, like you're saying, is hugely important to sit down, because hey, all of us like, you know, to me, I love the first and the 15th of every month. I love that. I don't like missing those days. Those are my paydays. So if my sport coach says, hey, I need this, okay, well, I'm going to have to find a way to either educate him on why we don't need it, or I'm going to have to find a way to do it and not hurt my kids. So that's like one of those two things have to occur as long as we're underneath that realm. And you know, it may change, it may not change, but right now that's the culture and the climate that, uh, that strength and conditioning coaches in the athletic realm find themselves at the high school level, at the collegiate level. And hell, a lot of them at the high school level, they are the sport coach. So let's be, let's be honest. Right. So that's why, you know, one of the main drivers of creating that National High School Strength Coaches Association that we did a couple of years ago. that's no one makes any money from it. It's purely nonprofit. we don't we don't make money. um it wasn't it wasn't a driver for anything or recognition or any of that. It was to try to connect the disconnected. That's the whole goal. It's try to uh, find a way to educate, equip, and empower coaches to be the best they can to impact the student lives that they they're blessed to have every day. Um, and that's really the, our drive with that association that we started is it's really that association was not started for the Gary Schofield of the world. Um, it was started for the, the football coach who's trying and striving. Cause I, here's the deal. I've never met a sport coach that wanted a weaker, slower, softer, more injured team. I've yet to run into that guy. I mean, I'm sure he might exist out there, but I haven't met him. Uh, now they might be doing stuff that's causing that. And not knowing it, like you said, trying to educate them, creating a curriculum that shows that. So that's what we're trying to do with that association is create uh, an entry point where they don't feel the dumbest guy in the room because no one wants to join in and feel, and feel the dumbest guy in the room. We all know that eventually you realize that's not important. What's important is that you're not the smartest guy in the room. But the entry-level guy, he just doesn't want to be the dumbest guy in the room. He doesn't want to feel talked over because he'll never come back to that room again. So what we're trying to do is create an entry point to where they feel like, hey, we're part of this, this group, and there's a place for me at this table, and then, uh, and then progress them down that line. So we have some unique stuff coming down the line from uh, a certification that will be coming out in 2019 um, that's going to be uh, an online portal. There are a lot of certifications out there, and you know as well as I do, certifications don't, don't qualify coaches. It's just part of the equation. I believe certification is part of being a qualified coach. Your education and your experience are just as important. And so we're trying to create a tiered system to where that sport coach can enter and progress over a period of time. And um, and John, like you said, it's going to be focusing on on the basics at first, so they don't feel like they need to jump up to triphasic and velocity-based training and all these concepts that do have a, a ton of validity and great inherent value but maybe not to that coach that's entering and starting his program maybe in order to get there maybe there are some steps now when we look at the marketplace there just aren't a whole lot of things available for those people to step into and feel part of um so we're trying to do that in a way uh maybe that's a little bit unique so that's that's kind of that whole push for that group that we started
3: and y'all are trying to have fun too, because yeah. I know Donnie Mae went on your cruise <laughs> conference, and yeah. Donnie was also tell me about where something where it's like a a tour conference where you, yeah, so you pick I, we three universities.
4: Two, yeah, we have two two things coming up. So I, I'm big about we we talk about this thing called hashtag family all the time, and it's creating a family amongst us all. Right, I, 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 next time I see you guys, I'm gonna be hugs and a high five. We know that that part of our profession that's the cool part of our profession the problem is, is when I go to Texas and I speak at that clinic I'm leaving my other my my wife and my kid I'm leaving them behind and even if they came with me I'm eight hours at that conference they're wandering around Austin which is a cool place but they're not with me so it, it's different so uh, a couple of years ago when we started this out I said how can we maximize opportunities to be with our family On both sides, our professional family and our personal family, and I happened to go on a cruise, and I sat there, and and I'm sitting in the in the in the pool, and a doctor was talking to somebody, and and I who are you talking? Oh, this is my staff. I brought my staff here, and I thought, oh, holy crap! Well, maybe we'll do it on a cruise ship. So what we do is we have, this year was a four day cruise, ten hours. We had five national coaches of the year. Donnie was our keynote speaker. Um, We had incredible content because you know as well as I do if you go to a conference too. If you go to eight sessions, that's a pretty good conference. You're probably not doing that. What you're probably doing is going to four to five sessions and then talking in the hallways, which is great. You know, you'll learn a lot doing that. And then you go out and hang out with your, your buddies. And that's probably what most conferences are. So we said, what if we did it on a cruise ship to where it was only two to three hours a day where the conference was maximum? The rest of the time, you could talk to your buddies and be with your family. Okay, you get 10 hours. So day one it was two hours. Day two was three. Day day three we went to Cozumel and they had two hours at night. Day four we had another three hours. So we had we had ten total hours. You you brought your family and if I went to a conference, we flew and ate and did all that stuff, it's about nine hundred to thousand bucks. So you could get two tickets for eight hundred and fifty. So for the cost of one conference, you could bring two people on a cruise ship because we didn't charge anything for the crew for the conference. It's just a cruise ticket, basically. And then you had access to all the conference. So we worked on a deal like that. That's that's pretty unique. So people come away because here's the deal. After that, someone speaks, Donnie Mabe speaks, I might grab you and say, hey, let's go hang out and chat about that. I got a couple of questions. I want to hear your guys' opinion about what he just said. So now we're sitting around at a at a table, maybe we're having a beer and we're chatting about that. And then my wife wants to go do something, so I escape and go do that. Like there's a, there's a connectivity that occurs at that conference, unlike anything. And, and you talked to Donnie about that, and he's, he says I've ruined his conference, conference <laughs> events forever with that one. It's just a pretty neat thing. But the other one that I wanted to do is try to create connectivity, too, was uh, rent a tour bus. We're going to rent a tour bus, and we'll put 35, 40 coaches on this tour bus, and we'll travel around the southeast and do two to three schools over a three day period of time, two to three each, each day. And at night we'll go to a brewery and we'll talk and shoot the, shoot the crap. Um, but on the bus, you'll be doing that as well as we're headed to the next one. So we swing in, we get a facility tour, we get them to do a one hour lecture. We go to the next one and you go around. And so you're getting again, eight, nine hours of content, but the connection is, is key because in this day and age, Like what we're doing right now is hopefully providing good content so I can flip my laptop open and get content. What's missing today is connection. How am I creating connections? Like you and I, if you weren't down there, we wouldn't have met. We wouldn't have had the opportunity to have that connection. So that's what builds, I think, true growth and true learning is opportunities to connect. So we look for opportunities yeah, we want it to be fun, but we're looking for opportunities for to provide connection with people. that that's that's key uh, to what we're doing. Um, I have an online mentorship. It's not an internship. Uh, it's a mentorship. So what I do is I place people across the country, and actually, I have some people in Ireland and u k and one in Hong Kong. so I, I, I find places where they can go and and do an internship, but then they get curriculum for me, but but the key point is they get monthly curriculum for me. I do fit. I do a maximum of sixty. So fifteen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights. So I'll do one tonight. Fifteen people get a one-hour video like we're doing right now. We- they get on and they can ask questions, and I-, I will give them some connection. So they're able to get content, hopefully decent content. I hope it's decent. But the key is they they provided some connectivity both with, them- with themselves and with me personally um, through a live Q and A. So I think that's maybe missing a little bit in our educational growth is that connection part.
2: Well, I think in general and when when I heard from Donnie when we went to the the conference at UT he was talking about the tour bus concept and I was just like what a great idea. Like forced forced conversation yeah. among peer professionals. Like there is no better way to drive that type of connection because yeah. you know there's hype between each one of those rides but you're yep. sitting like you're for, you're forced to you're forced to connect with somebody <laughs> He's right. like you have to there's no what you yeah. don't sit on a bus and not fucking talk to anybody when no. you're all like really jazzed about what's going on it's yeah. great
4: yeah it's great yeah. it's the same it's the same thing with a cruise ship like you're not going anywhere you're on a cruise ship now yeah. it's big but you're just going to talk and you create you know i've created friendships professionally that that will last forever because of those connections you're exactly right yeah yeah uh, pretty pretty cool things and that's that's great when you when you can do things and ha- be free of red tape you guys know this when you can do what you want to do and you don't do what you're forced to do you can do some pretty cool things when it gets tied up in red tape and political nonsense wow we can't do that because this and that and that's when that's when good stuff goes away good stuff only appears when you get rid of the red freaking tape and the po- political chasing
2: yeah for sure and then you you have a flavor of like of fun like of fun the shit that Eh, you don't really feel like doing, but kind of feel obligated to do it. It's easier to get over that hurdle as well. Just like lowers the yeah. barrier yeah. if that's the case. But yeah. no, that's great. So if, if anyone wanted to dig into the, those opportunities, where do they go to check out how to you know, learn about yeah, these so conferences or the mentorship program?
4: Yeah. So the, the, the NHS SCA, obviously, John, you mentioned you're on our Facebook page. That's a pretty neat, neat place to start because uh, we've been really good about not turning it into a negative nightmare. Uh, people have been pretty good about providing uh, opinions without it becoming opinionated, and so I've been I've been proud of that. We have about 3,500 active participants on that Facebook page, and it's just NHSSCA. And I know it's Facebook, and not everybody's on Facebook. We also have an Instagram, and we also have a Twitter. Um, Facebook has more interaction. Let's just face it; it's just it's it's just unique there. Uh, we're we're going to be doing something on Instagram with some live Q and A on there, but. But that, it, it doesn't provide the opportunity that the Facebook platform does provide. So it is a pretty neat option. I know a lot of people don't have Facebook accounts. I tell them, create a create a, a, a coach one. They only go on there just for that purpose. You'd be surprised of the video sharing and the file, all free. There's no, no limit to that. So that's a pretty neat place. You could also go to our website, which is www.nhssca.com. That stands for National High School Strength Coaches Association. I know it's really long. .us. <laughs> Um, and on there, um, you can look through and it has some uh, topics about us and our events and some of the things that we're doing. There's also a membership there. Again, 100% of the membership goes to the membership. No one gets paid a salary. Um, it's actually written in that we can't. <laughs> it just doesn't happen that way, which is unique for an association. Um, and then there, if you do become a member, there's access to videos. We have our own podcast. Um, we have, um, uh, file share presentations, all kinds of things that you can have access to as well. So that's pretty cool there. And then, um, the coach go, I, I don't publicize it because it's full when it does become um, public. Um, so I have a, a behind the scenes website. You can go to that, but just, just emailing me um, that, that people want. And I can give that to you guys if you want to put it in the information. Um, but if they email me, they have interest of it. I can send them the information. So as people drop out, I, I put it up. But what I found is I, I publishized a web page and then I got inundated with people wanting to be in it. I just couldn't put them in. Then I felt bad about it. And I'm like, I'm pulling that out, out of the public realm until, cause I just don't have time. I'm trying to manage it and give everything I can. And, and I, I don't want it to become something that turns into a money grab for me or anything like that. It's just not something that I'm, I push like that, so I don't have that, have that goal. But, but those, those are probably great points to start with.
3: You're one of the most energetic, passionate speakers <laughs> I've been fortunate to, to listen to. I go to all the, the conferences and you know there's, there's great, there's good information, but maybe not the best presenter, but you got a, a knack for both. I'm just curious, man, what, what keeps you rolling? So do you still coach high school athletes or are you empowering coaches?
4: I volunteer. Yeah, about five minutes from my house, there's a a private school right down the street. Toby Jacoby's the head coach there, and he allows me to come and and get a little bit of my, my coaching Jones out. So I do that. A lot of times when I'm traveling around and visit coaches, they let me jump in and I help out doing that too. So that's pretty neat. My role's changed a little bit as I've gotten older to where I'm trying to help coaches coach, too. So that's that's a pretty, pretty awesome thing. I've done 29 different staff development sessions over the past eight months. That's kind of fun to do, help coach young coaches. Um, honestly, it's one of the best compliments I can be given. So what you just said there is great because when I grew up and I was in high school, I think I might have said five words. And people don't believe that when they know who I am now. They think, oh, that's bull crap. He's making a story up. I'm telling you, like I said, I'm the Forrest Gump. I have plenty of stories. We can talk about it. I have a lot, of, a lot of cool things that happen. But I'm not making it up. I was an incredible introvert. Um, I, I just I didn't have a lot of confidence. I didn't have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I, I, athletics saved my butt. I probably would have been a nerd if I, if I, if I, uh, if I didn't have athletics in my life. Um, but I think there are things in this world that you are going to be good at. And I think some of them you're born with. We know that. We look at athletes that just run well. We're like, oh, crap. How do they do that? I don't know. They just run well. But there are other things that people have worked their ass off to get better at. And I've tried to work my ass off to be a better communicator and, more importantly, a connector. And I think the key to those things are being truthful and authentic. I'm going to tell you what I know and what I believe from my heart and my mind and my soul. And I'm not going to make it up from some study or research material if I don't believe in it. So what you're going to hear from me, what comes out of my mouth, is what I actually do every single day. It's what I believe in. It's what I think about. It's what I'm, you know, people say, oh, you, you, you follow your passion. No, I live life with passion. I don't follow a passion. See, I think if you find and you spend time, it's something that I mentioned at that conference. There's a Japanese term, Ikigai. John, have you heard that? And so, you know, when you talk about the blue zones, and, and I think it's one of the coolest things that I was ever shown. But when you, when you really sit down and you dive deep and you find out what is it that you love, what is it that you love to do? And, and you start diving down in and family and, and outdoors and exercise. And what about being part of a team? Well, it's just the camaraderie, that family, that fellowship. And then you find out what you're good at, both from what you were born with and what, you, and what you've worked your ass off to do. But then there's a key point of what does this world need? Because we can make a list, holy crap, thousands of pages long of what this world needs. But it's a flawed world because we live in it, right? We screw it up. So we have this flawed world, but what more importantly than what the world needs is what does the world need that you're willing to get off your ass and engage and do not bitch about not sit there and post on social media about what have you gone and done? What are you willing to go do? You willing to go start your own high school group because they're not being serviced? Okay. Well, then maybe, maybe then that's, that's what you're willing to engage in. Maybe that's what the world needs. And then when you look at those three things and you can determine your background, your education, your certifications, your your experience to find out what can I get paid for. When those four things merge, you find your icky guy. You find what gets you the hell out of bed every morning. Well, this is what gets me out of bed every morning. And that's when you can live life with passion. Not for a passion. Strength and conditioning is not my passion. Strength and conditioning is part of why I live life with passion. Does that make sense? So I think I think people are always (laughs) like, well, I'm not sure that this job is my passion. I'm like, that's a bunch of horse shit. What you need to be finding out is how to live life with passion, wherever I'm at. If I get fired tomorrow, hopefully I won't, please tell me I won't, but I'm going to find a way to live life with passion. I'm not going to be dictated by what I do. My life is going to be dictated by who I am. And so I think maybe, maybe that in a roundabout way to answer your question, I think I just try to come across authentic and real and try to share a little bit, but what gets me out of bed every morning.
3: Was was there a moment or a, a mentor or a teacher that just turned it all around? Or were you always just had this attitude and approach?
4: Yeah, no, I wish I wish I did. I lived life poorly for about uh, 25, 26 years, poorly. I might've been one of the worst representations of a man that could possibly be. I cheated, lied, stole, uh, did everything everything wrong. I'll all try to get gain for, for me. Everything was about me, 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 me. So, I think going through that process and bottoming out um, allowed me, uh, forced me, it didn't allow me, forced me to hit that reset button. You talked about forced communication on the bus. Well, sometimes when you hit bottom, man, that ain't nowhere to go, man. You got to be forced to do something. Yeah, forced and action. That, that survival instinct kicked in, and I'm like, I got to fix some of the crap. So, yes, there have been amazing amounts of mentors, Jeremy Boone and Mike Martino and just good friends, Toby Jacoby and Fred Eves and Rich Gray and, just people in my life that spent time caring about me, Kurt Bazemore Gary Levengood. I could go on and on and on about names that maybe they were only moments in my life. Maybe they were bigger moments in my life, like to a couple, John and Linda Clovis. But, but every one of those things helped create what I, what I am today, it, hopefully the good that I am today. Um, I know this uh, I live life to be 180 degrees from what I once was. And, I, and, I, and I'm chasing uh, what's waiting for me at the end. I know when, when I come home every night, I have a a wife and a daughter jumping up and down, excited to see me. I know I have a son that gets excited. He's in Utah, gets excited every time I call him. I know that's waiting for me every day. So I I pursue the stuff that's going to make me smile at the end of the day, not the stuff that's going to make me go, Holy crap. Why did I do that today? And so, um, You know, I think every moment, I think you guys will impact me in ways you don't know. I mean, I think there are things that occur every single day. Sometimes we get so focused on doing what we need to do to pay bills that we miss those opportunities to impact us. Like we don't have our head up. We don't realize, "Well, well, maybe I don't need to be a high school coach. Maybe I can go work with play and experience something else. And it has allowed me to be great because I got my head out of my butt and start worrying about every single day and start looking around because I think life gives us these moments every single day to be great. I think we were all born to be great. I don't know what each of your great is, but I guarantee you this, you were born to be great. You weren't born to be average. I look around, I look at the way trees were created and I know something special happened there. And I look at each one of you guys and I'm like, something special happened there. So we got to live to be our great. So, you know, if, if we can all help each other to find that great, man, that's, that's a pretty cool thing to do every single day.
2: Bam! Empowering performance. Boom. (laughs) Gary Schofield with the mic drop. (laughs) Dude, Gary, what a great talk, man! I appreciate you taking the time. Like I said earlier, to chat with us, this was awesome. We got anything else? Honor, man.
4: man, Honor. Yeah, I've followed. I was telling Chris, I followed. uh, I followed from CrossFit Football Day, so I've been a follower, follower from a distance. (laughs) and really appreciate it and learned a ton. Learned, learned an absolute ton about about more than just strength and conditioning too so there's a lot a lot more stuff that was that was that was taught even through those through those web pages those free web pages that I stole uh. every single day <laughs> <laughs> well, good I'm, I'm glad somebody stole <laughs> uh, it, wasn't it, just, it. it wasn't just sets and Reps brothers there, there's a there's a lot of stuff so um, when I saw you speak and I, I I got excited about that because there's there's a lot of great stuff that's that's in there so I, it's an honor to be on this
2: thank you yeah appreciate it there you go, Power Athlete Nation! Another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Bing, we did it! All right, thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Thank we'll you. Talk to you
4: guys, Thank you, guys. Have
2: a great day. You too. Bye. Awesome.
0: Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Has Coach Schofield piqued your interest on a brewery tour, which may also improve your coaching? If you're looking for more information on how to get your strength and conditioning passion flowing, look no further than NHSSCA.com. And I'll leave you guys with a little chalk talk from the crew.
3: Y'all two are the two biggest talkers that I've ever met. So interesting
1: to um, see how it played out today. Ooh. We're the two biggest talkers, Luke and I?
2: No, you and Gary. Yeah. Me and Gary. Oh, yeah. You think I'm a big talker? Oh, here we go. Callie put this in the episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I'm a big talker. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of pressure on me to talk because I'm fucking saddled with you two fucking donkeys. Uh, Here we go.
0: Until next time. Bye.